Hi everyone, Erica Terblanche is joining me today to talk about her book, Run for the Love of Life. Erica is an accomplished endurance runner and adventure racer and has won numerous iconic long distance races all over the world, including the grueling Racing the Planet seven day Sahara Desert Ultra Marathon, among many others. Erica is a life coach and psychologist with a master's degree in positive psychology. She is also the founder of Teach a Girl to Fish, Thrive Guru, and Thrive Run Club. Her lifelong quest is to determine how we can, over time, shape and mold ourselves to become the best we can possibly be. Run for the Love of Life is her first book. Hi, Erica. Thank you for joining me today to talk about your book, Run for the Love of Life. Hello, Annie. What a privilege to be here with you. Oh, I am so honored you are here today. This is so inspirational, motivational, and actually I might even start up taking running after reading this. That's how great this is. So go ahead and tell me why you wrote this book. Right. So, Annie, I've been running for, do you know, I, I didn't run when I was young. I lived on a farm. Um, and in my adult life, when I started working, I realized that I needed something to de-stress, some way of, you know, managing my life. And interestingly enough, I only started running when I was 30 years old. And yes, and I mean, before that, I was an extreme adventurer and I was always hiking and stuff like that. But when I started running, I realized that my life changing a lot um, and for the better. I mean, my work performance improved, my relationships improved, my health obviously improved, both mental and physical. Yeah. And after, I don't know, after 20 years of running, it fundamentally changed me for the better. And I wrote the book to share some of that with people and with the, with the great ideal to, to get people inspired to move. And you know, running is not the only way of moving. So dancing, swimming, whatever it is, but it's a, it was an ode to moving. That's why I wrote it and to inspire others. Well, it is sure inspirational. And so it's not just running in, you're running outside, you're running in the desert. So talk about why you chose desert running and how it's different. Right. So, okay. And, and again, I mean, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head when you said outside. Yeah. And so my book is both, and um, it's an ode to running and an inspiration for or an, a story to get people running. But equally, it is it is a call back to nature, um, because all of this running that I did for twenty years happened to be out in in the wilderness. I did grow up on a farm, and I thought I think I, I was always drawn to nature and always hiking and doing things like that. So when I started running, obviously I was drawn. Um, to run uh, in the wilderness and, and outdoors uh, mostly. And I mean, if you look at the science of it, um, the degree of restoration that you get when you exercise outside 
versus exercising indoors, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah. So, um, so I ran a lot um, in, in the wilderness and I did a sport called adventure racing, um, which is all wilderness-based um, extreme sport where you're out there for five days and five nights. So it was only natural for me when I took to running to actually start um, trail running um, in the wilderness. And then, um, I mean, this is maybe a, a long answer, but I started desert running because uh, I went through a very difficult patch in my life. Um, I got divorced. And as a way of getting through the grief and the heartbreak of it, um, I decided to do what the pilgrims and the prophets, and, you know, I fled for the Sahara and I did a seven day desert race, yeah. which was extraordinary. I mean, it was, it was life changing and the degree to which that experience helped me to cope and get through the difficulty. I, I didn't think it was possible uh, in seven days, you know, to, to go through that. And not only do you run these races or run for therapeutic value, you are winning these races and you're quite humble, but you have won. You, be, you have come in first place so many times it, it, I, and you started when you were 30. I, it's just amazing what you have been through. Can you talk, and there is one point in the book where you talked about not worrying about what anybody else was doing while you were running it, you were focused on your own race and is do you think that that is one of the reasons why you've been so successful running so, so what a beautiful question and, and and a lovely insight and and thank you for for reading even in between the lines um and yeah, I absolutely deeply believe that that is why I did well, because I think there were three things, really. I, I came to the sport because I loved it. I loved the way that it made me feel, um, the, the places it took me, um, the personal growth it, it brought for me. So I loved it for its own sake. And then the second thing is I never felt any performance pressure because I really didn't care about the podium it was about the experience and not the the winning of it um which was a great gift because it meant that i could come to every race with a sense of curiosity thinking oh this is really far i wonder how i'll do not compared to the others but how will i fare um vis-a-vis -vis myself so i i didn't have any competitive pressure and i and i think all that energy one sometimes spends on the other people and what they are doing I could use that energy absolutely just to propel my body and my heart and soul forward on the on the course. Yeah. So I think that was um, perhaps the second thing. And then I think the third thing is because I came so late to the to the sport. Um, nobody expected me to win, uh, and neither did I. You know, so every time I did win, it was a sort of a cherry on the cake, and it was a surprise and. So there was also no uh, outside pressure for me. And, and I think that's why I did well. And that's why now that I'm 50 years old now, I ran like that for 20 years. And yesterday I signed up for a 160 kilometer uh, race in our big mountains. And, uh, you know, just, yeah. So what is that in miles? 100 miles, 100 miles. Uh -huh. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. What is the longest race you have done? Is, is that the longest? No, you've done longer, right? No, longer. Um, yes. Yeah, so the, so help me translate this into miles, uh, 208 kilometers. What is that in miles? 160 miles, I think. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. So it was a 20, 24 hour race. And, and again, I go up to this place with a sense of curiosity, wondering, so I wonder how far I can run in, uh, 24 hours and um, only one other person beat me and it was the winning male and he he beat me by one lap because oh it was <laughs> wow. that quite extraordinary to to witness and, and I think the other thing is when you run with curiosity you sometimes outside your body you're not inside suffering you're sort of watching you, you're a witness to it so yeah. it was very interesting on this 208 kilometer race to watch and see myself go through the process, you know? Um, yeah, it's very interesting. It almost seems like you have to be outside of your body to do something like this, because if you are feeling every little thing that you're experiencing, it's it would, I mean, when I run, I'm like, my back hurts, my leg hurts, you know? And so, but you seem to be able to get to, look, I guess it's the runner's high, like where you're just in this euphoric state, which I'd never been. So I don't know. But if you could talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> okay, wait. So I have to bust the myth. Um, I think I think running long distance is a bit like a like a good marriage. You have highs and you have lows. Okay. <laughs> You just never get to the place where it is just euphoria and no pain. Okay. Um, there's definitely something about getting to that place where you're in absolute flow. Everything is going smoothly. You're in your body. Um, and it's just an extraordinary feeling of presence, mm. you know, being and it's all working and, and, and it's great. Um, but a very large portion of endurance running is actually learning to be with pain um, and being with body aches and being with uh, mental challenges and worries and concerns. So I think the, the, the biggest muscle that I've developed over the years um, in endurance running is something around acceptance. You know, so when you're running and your back feels like it's actually been kicked by a mule, um, there's actually a technique, it's called the emotional freedom technique that I use sometimes, um, where you witness the pain, you see it, you accept it, you acknowledge it, you call it by its name and say, okay, my left hip is really sore. You say out loud, I accept you for what you are. And um, you go through a sequence uh, of, of meridian tapping that actually helps you to um, short circuit your mind to not obsess about it. So, and it's a bit like how you deal with negative emotion in life as well. You know, the more you try and suppress it and you know it, the harder it gets and the worse it gets, um, the more it sort of erupts in other ways in your life. So it's yeah. the same with um, difficulty in endurance running. The sooner you witness it, call it by its name, accept it, and then almost, uh, I, I'm not going to say welcome it. That's a strong. That's a strong sense. But use it as information, even sometimes. So maybe your your back is sore because oh, your posture is not right and your head is not exactly on top of your spine. So you witness it, and then if you can change something you do, 
Um, but it is about being with pain in a way that that helps you to to be equipped for life. I think. You know? Well, yeah. Thank you for explaining that because not being a runner and not running long distances, I didn't. I I know you talked a little bit about that in your book, but having you explain it is like an aha. And I hope that helps people who are listening that they can overcome things too by using this um like meridian tapping he had talked about and just accepting where it is and then trying to let it go and not obsessing over it that yeah completely and and i think the trick and and it's so beautiful uh, that you describe it like that not obsessing over it but the first step is to ask it what is it mm-hmm. i mean there's even a practice that that i use emotionally so if I'm really anxious about something or anxious about the run and not just running, but in life, I would say, okay, this emotion that I'm feeling is X and maybe I'm feeling um, a little bit anxious about something. And I'll say, what is it that you want me to do for you to go away? Okay. What is it? Yeah. You ask it. And then it will say, well, you better write that presentation and practice it because if you do it, you'll feel less anxious. And then you you can do you can actually do something and then the emotion goes away. Um, I think that's good advice. Um, yes, in life in general. I, I like that. Notice what's ailing you. Notice where this is coming from and what can you do about it? It's a self-awareness. Yeah. And okay, so you talked a little bit about how you focus on your own race, but I also got a sense of this belonging um, in a group. So when you're running these races, even though you're competing against each other, you mentioned this sense of belonging and how that's a need for humans. Can you talk more about this sense of belonging as you are running? Right. So, I mean, when you are on a seven day race, I don't know if our listeners know this, but you carry your backpack with all your food for seven days. You also carry all your clothing and your sleeping bag and your toiletries, which means you basically run in the same set of clothing for seven days. Perhaps you've got a clean crop top for the evenings, perhaps. And your toiletries are at a bare minimum. In fact, we cut off the ends of our toothbrushes. So we just carry the bristle. (laughs) Extra bit of weight. And the point being that you're running for seven days in these majestic landscapes and you are sweating together, you are suffering together, you are bonded by the extremely um, awe-inspiring experience and the difficulty of it. And, you know, in in these races, it doesn't matter whether you um, sweep the floors or whether you're the CEO, there is no sense of uh, status or hierarchy and what is so beautiful about it is that we are humans together in this place and on these seven day races the only thing we get is water and a canvas tent and not even with sides just sort of a a awning to sit under in the 50 degree uh, celsius sun Um, and you sit under that canvas once you finish the the day's running that could be anything from six to twelve hours long and you talk or you just sit together in silence and the
Daniel, was you still there? Hi. I sorry, so, you cut out for uh, like a few seconds. Right, sorry about that. Okay. Um, but but so the veneer washes away in these places, and the true person comes to the surface. And you know, and and it's not as if though there's any. It's hard to explain, but the judgment goes away, and you really experience a great degree of compassion and what it is to be human. And from that place, it is so great because even on the first day of the race or the second day of the race, you have the deepest conversations that would take you with strangers. <laughs> and it would take you three, four years, I think, of friendship before you broach the subjects that easily get slung around under the canvas tent, you know, yeah. um, among 30 or 40 or 50 strangers. It's quite remarkable. Um, yeah. So there's a great sense of uh, camaraderie and belonging. And, and maybe I can add something interesting uh, is that a lot of older people, um, you would be so fascinated to see that there are sometimes 60, 65, 70 year old people signing up for these seven day races and they actually come and walk it. Um, but very often because the uh, trail running community in these seven day racing community is quite small they come to feel part of a family, you know, and to still feel a sense of belonging. Many people are widowed or, yeah. um, you know, and then they come on these races and it's just so wonderful to, to feel how we hold each other in the fold. Um, yeah. But we also compete with each other, you know, so it's not all... <laughs> You get a little bit of both, you know, you get the, the sense of belonging, the opening up, the bonding, and then you have a good old competition. <laughs> yeah, also, it's a race after all, you know, yeah. otherwise we'd call it a pilgrimage. It's not, it's a race. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I love that. So um, if you had to talk about one major lesson you've learned from your experiences running, what would you say that is? Sure, just one. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's so hard, right? <laughs> it is hard because it truly, um, it truly rewired me. Uh, I mean, it changed who I am as a person. Uh, somebody sent me a photograph of myself uh, 25 years ago uh, last week. And I actually didn't recognize the person. I just didn't. Um, sure, Annie, there's so, there, there are so many lessons, but I, I think the lesson is really to apply yourself, you know, to just show up. It doesn't matter if it's three kilometers or 20 kilometers or 100 kilometers. It's to just show up in your life um, and to take the first step especially when you're starting something new, not to wait until you feel like it, or, but just to show up, take the first step, take the pressure off yourself, take it with curiosity, and kind of the next step begins to look after itself, especially if you're in a community. So I think for me, that, that's the biggest one. Just, just show up, you know? And I just want to say with the showing up, don't wait until you're sure. Yeah. Don't wait until you're certain because you'll only know once you try. Yeah. And if you try with curiosity and not with any kind of uh, presupposed performance pressure, it's okay no matter what happens. Yes. But just 
So show up. Don't wait until you're sure you're going to do it. Um, yeah. Like go. Just, just begin. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are many times I, I dread, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. But when I do show up, I, I think, why did I question this? And it's, yeah. it's it can be life changing when you do when you do show up. Yeah, Com completely. And and when you show up, you think, oh, my gosh, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? Yeah. Why did I wait? Because there's something else about when you when you show up. Um, oh, it's that beautiful quote. And it's not by Goethe. Everybody says it's by Goethe, but it's actually not by Goethe. It's somebody who quoted Goethe um, where it's, it's a quote that says um, when you just begin boldness uh, uh, beginnings have magic and boldness in it just begin because yeah. when you do all manner of men and women in the universe and energies conspire to support you in what it is that you're trying to do yeah. um but thinking about doing something nothing's gonna happen yeah you know? yeah i know you got to get out there <laughs> so <laughs> So I want to show your book one more time. Now, where is, I think I know where this is, but tell me where that is. Right. It's in my favorite place in the world. It's in the Sahara Desert. Yes. Um, yeah, it is. It is it truly, have you been? Have you, have you been to the Sahara? I have not. I have not. <laughs> it's very, in, it's, uh, it is probably the most magic and I've traveled a lot. Um, it's the most magical place I've ever been in in the world. Uh, there's something in the Sahara that is that you can't. Have, um, there's a book called The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint Exupery, yeah. and I understand why a book like that was inspired in the in the Sahara because the dunes, uh, Annie, are soft and they have these s perfect s swish shapes, yeah. and then the wind blows over them and just gently sifts these streaks of sand off it yeah and there's this immense so the dunes look like silk and there's this immense vast spacious presence in the Sahara and I've been in many deserts um it's just a really magical place and and the the Bedouins that often uh, support the races uh, have a very spiritual relationship with the desert and um, in one of my races I had, a, I had the privilege of beginning to understand and see the desert through the eyes of uh, two Bedouin brothers and their love affair with this sandy expanse and how they go back as often as they can every summer um, uh, winter holiday you know they they find a way to do some work for races or safari companies or whatever they I think the one was a chartered accountant, but they 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 find a way to come back into the desert because the love of it is is so great. And, and I mean, then you talk about the the Sufi poets like Rumi and Hafiz, and you know, honestly, the stars dripped on their tongues. That's why they that's, that's why they wrote the way they did. Yeah, it's beautiful yeah. writing. Yes. Well, great. So tell us where people can find your book right so uh run for the love of life is available on amazon um you can get it at uh, on amazon.com um and it's in kindle and it's in paperback uh, what whichever way you wish it so 
How wonderful. And, and the next book um, was literally born uh, this past weekend. So Ooh. I've just started the, the next one. And it's the first time I've said that publicly. So wow. you're the first to Thank you for sharing that with us. That's so amazing. We can't wait for it. <laughs> it's, I know that's wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I hope that people will pick up your book because it is so inspiring. It's motivational. And I, I just I just loved every word of it. That's wonderful. And thank you for being so generous and with this podcast that you do and bringing good books um, to people. It's such a valuable thing, you know. You're thank welcome. You. You're welcome.